Um, uh, he had a way with words. And one of my favorite things that Mark Twain said was, uh, the, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Y'all ever, y'all, I know y'all have heard that before, that Mark Twain said that. And it's funny. Why is this quote funny? It's funny because there's, there's no such thing as degrees of death. You either are or you're not. You, you don't greatly exaggerate the reports of someone's death. Either they are dead or they're not. Um, and maybe some of y'all have even seen, uh, maybe even some of y'all have seen the classic movie. I think it actually got put into the Library of Congress now. If y'all have ever seen the movie The Princess Bride, uh, there's, a, there's a moment in The Princess Bride where, where the, the prince is, he's laying there like he's dead and somebody says, well, I can, I can fix him. And they say, how, do you, how can you fix him? He's dead. And he goes, no, he's just mostly dead. He's just mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all the way dead. All the way dead, you can't do anything about. But mostly dead, that can be fixed. Uh, it's funny, again, because there's no such thing as degrees of death. You either are or you're not, which that's what makes death a concerning proposition, right? That, that once you're dead, you're dead for a while. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not just for people by themselves. That's also for churches too. Uh, that churches can die. Uh, and I say this with a heavy heart that I have a very simple, low-hanging fruit illustration for this. When you walk out this door, I want you to look to the right. When I got here, that church had people worshiping there on Sunday morning. I remember the day where I sat in my office. I was working on a sermon for y'all one night. I was sitting in my office, and I was working on a sermon, and our parking lot started filling up with people. And I got confused. So I opened the door, and I walked outside, and just people pouring into this parking lot. And I walked up to someone I didn't recognize, and I said, hey, excuse me, I, I don't mean to, to, to intrude on whatever it is going on, but because I, I noticed them going in, the, going in the, the Methodist church. And I said, what's going on here? And they said, this is a decommissioning service. Well, me being a Baptist, I don't, I mean, I don't know what a decommissioning service is. I just know a church closes its doors. And I said, well, what, what, what does that mean? And they said, well, this is where we close the church. And I heard some people walking and talking and saying, this is my church. This is my church. And y'all, I had never seen them there. That the church had a name for being alive. But now it's dead. Y'all, I don't say this because we're Baptist and they're Methodists. Giggle, 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 snicker, snicker, snicker. Ha ha, we got one. No. I don't view any Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church as competition. I don't view us as winning and them as losing. I view Jesus as gaining ground or Satan as gaining ground. That's the way I see it. 
So there's no such thing as a good Bible-believing church closing its door. There's never a good church closing if they love Jesus and preach the Bible. That's not, that's not true. I, I, I'm saying this not to gloat, but to mourn. Because there is such a thing as a dead church. There is such a thing as a church dying. And there is such a thing as, brace yourselves, a zombie church. What in the world is a zombie church? A zombie church is exactly what you would imagine a zombie is. It's somebody dead who's just walking around. So, in case you think your pastor has lost his mind, if you'd stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for warning us what can happen if we are not watchful. Lord, I pray that this would never be Stapleton Baptist Church. That this church would live, that this church would thrive, and this church would be an enduring testimony to your goodness and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I've named this morning's sermon Asleep at the Wheel for reasons that I hope will become apparent as we go. Uh, but I want us to look at three assumptions that we as a church can make that, you know, kind of air condition the way down into the, the church casket if we don't pay attention. Um, assumptions are, are bad things. Uh, when you go into a scientific experiment or a sporting event or whatever else, and you're going to have to make, everybody brings assumptions in with them. And your assumptions are kind of like these. Uh, if you imagine the lenses in my glasses as your assumptions, they're what you see the world through. Um, and, and now that my assumptions are off, I can't see any of you. Uh, but the lenses in your glasses are kind of the, they're like your assumptions. They're what you view the world through. And depending on what assumptions you have, you view yourself differently. You view your church differently. You view God differently. You view other people differently. And so whether or not those assumptions are correct make a big difference on how one lives his or her life. So I want to talk about three faulty assumptions that we can make as a church this morning and hopefully avoid the fate of Sardis. And don't just, even though Jesus is writing to a church, by the way, he's also writing to individuals. Okay? This applies to you as individuals too. It's possible for a church to have the name that it's alive, but it be dead. But it's also possible for individuals to have the name that they are alive and be dead. 
I will be scared to know one day in glory how many funerals have been, have been done that everyone at the funeral, including the preacher, was convinced that the deceased was in heaven except for Jesus. Everybody was convinced except for Jesus. I would be scared to know how many funerals have been done. It is possible to have a name that you're alive but be dead. So this does not just apply to churches in general. It applies to you specifically, each of us. Each of you specifically. So first, let's talk about assuming our reputation is our reality. Do not assume that your reputation is your reality. Jesus says in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? I say this every week just to make sure that we uh, understand it. When, when John writes angel, when Jesus says angel here, he most likely means the pastor of the church. Uh, because angelos, the Greek word, can't just mean messenger. Um, so this is most likely a letter addressed to the pastor of the church. And Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now this is a throwback to Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 and 1 verse 16. And <coughs> you can go back and, and look at that. <coughs> we talked a little bit about that symbolism when we were in that chapter, but just kind of sum it up here does when john says these things say he who has the seven spirits of god does that mean there are seven holy spirits no that does not mean there are seven holy spirits seven is a symbolic number uh that generally means wholeness or totality so whenever jesus has these seven spirits of god that means jesus is continually in the presence and filled with and in union with the total and complete holy spirit and when it says he has the seven stars, the seven stars were explained in the end of chapter 1 as pastors of his churches. So Jesus not only is in complete unity with the Holy Spirit, he also has a complete grip on the pastors of his churches. Which, by the way, as a pastor, is extremely comforting to me. It's always good to know that Jesus has never let one of his stars slip out of his hand. So that's good to know. So, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. Now, that's good so far, right? That's good to have a name that you're alive. I like to have a name that I'm alive because it, it meshes with the fact that, you know, I woke up this morning. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Now, y'all, there's nothing fancy in the Greek right there. There's, there's, no, there's no fun twist. Well, what does Jesus mean when he says dead? Does he, no, he, he, just, he means dead. He means dead. Uh, the church has a reputation with everyone who knows them. Oh yeah, that's a good church. That's a good church. They got vibrant worship. They got a lot of people there. Man, their, their, their Sardis children's program is insane. But the church is dead. They're not just sick. They're not mostly dead. It's not greatly exaggerated. That Jesus is not saying... Now there have been previous letters where Jesus threatened your church is going to die if something doesn't change. This moment has already come for the church at Sardis. So this is a grave situation. They're dead even if their works don't make it appear that way. 
And then Jesus says, be watchful. Um, where are my New American Standard and English Standard Version people in here? Any of y'all? Y'all don't have be watchful. Uh, <clears throat> if you've got an English Standard Version, yours actually reads, wake up. The word for watchful in Greek literally means to be alert. So let's do a linguistic exercise, church. What is the opposite of being alert? You're asleep. You're asleep. You're not conscious. Worst case scenario, you're in a coma. But you are not alert. You are not responsive to stimuli. Some of you, when you're asleep, you are responsive to stimuli. If you drop a pin, you're going to wake up. Some of you are like me. Where if you are asleep, you are asleep. So, <coughs> this church is asleep at the wheel. Now, in terms of dead in the sense of the doors are closed, nobody's there, they're not there yet. But in terms of spiritual vitality, what is God doing with you? The church will say, well, what do you mean, what's God doing with us? Let me tell you about all our ministries. Let me tell you about all the things that we've done. Let me tell you about our enrollment. Let me tell you about the number of people we have at worship. Let me no, that's not what I'm talking about. What's God doing with you? Well, what do you mean? This is the same thing as somebody who said, man, I remember back, I was baptized when I was six years old after vacation Bible school, and I cried, and oh, my mama took me to church every Sunday, and I said, well, what's God doing with you right now? Well, what do you mean? I mean, exactly what I said. What's, what's God teaching you right now? What's the Holy Spirit doing in you right now? Where, where's God taking you right now? What adventure are you on with Jesus? What, how are you growing in the Lord? Well, I go to church on Sunday. But what is he doing? I, I mean, I, I read my Bible a couple times this week. But what is God doing? When you're asleep, you don't know what other people around you are doing. This church is not watchful. They're not alert. They're not actively engaging in what God is doing in their lives as individuals or in their life as a church. They just exist. They're just there. Jesus says, wake up or be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect for God. This is an odd twist of metaphor. Jesus has first said they're dead and we just said they're not, not degrees of deadness, right? You're either dead or you're not. But then Jesus swaps metaphors and he says, wake up and strengthen what remains. That there does seem to be Small little pockets of life left in this church. That there are some little pieces of it that are still vital. And Jesus says, you need to wake up right now and give your entire attention to those parts of you that still have life in them. 
You need to rally. You need to come back. Uh, So Jesus has not found their works perfect or complete before God. Now, perfect is interesting in Greek. (coughs) Perfect means not without error, the way we think of of perfect. there, There is a sense in which it can mean that in Greek. But in this particular situation, what it means is fulfilled, accomplished, done, mission accomplished kind of sense. That what happened is Sardis got started. And we're going to see in a minute, they started on the right foot. They got started. They got to working hard. Man, they were hitting the pavement. People were coming to know the Lord. There was excitement. There was enthusiasm. And one day, someday early, somebody said, mission accomplished. And they went to sleep. That they felt like they had done enough. That I've done my time. Jesus ought to be happy with what I've done. So I'm going to rest now. And they laid down and they went to sleep. They're no longer alert. And Jesus stands up and says, you think you laid down in a bed, but what you did is you laid down in a casket. That your works are not complete. That you ceased working when the day wasn't over. There's still stuff for you to do, but you haven't done it. I've still got dreams for you. I've still got hopes for you. I've still got a future for you, but you quit. You quit. You laid down and died. Not all of you, but most of you have. So those of you who have laid down, you need to get up and you need to rally to those people who have not quit and you need to, you need to get up and be, be watchful again. The church believed they were alive, but they were dead. They believed they were doing enough or had done enough, but their works were incomplete. Do you know there are tons of Christians and churches who if you were to ask them if they were spiritually alive, they would emphatically answer yes. They would tell you, absolutely we're alive. And then they rattle off this long list of ministries They're giving records, how many mission trips they've been on. But if you ask anybody in their community, what difference has this church made in your life? Their answer would be who? That's a sign of spiritual deadness, y'all. If you ask Jesus, would his answer be the same as your answer? A dead church tends to do what physically dead people do. They rest from their labors and disintegrate. Now, I'm sorry if that's graphic. But I'm bound by this. And if Jesus says dead, necros in Greek, if he says that, I'm bound by it. And that's what he intends to communicate. We've all been to funerals and seen the work of the funeral home staff. And you see your loved one and they're, they're dressed up in their suit and they say, oh my goodness. And you say, oh my goodness, they look so good. But the fact of the matter is, y'all, the way they look doesn't make them any more alive, does it? There are plenty of dead folks in churches who dress up the same way. That they look great. But they're dead. 
The church is the same way. When we examine ourselves for spiritual life, ourselves or our church corporately, you ought to look for signs of life. Are you sharing the gospel? You, personally. And by the way, I'm not asking just you this. There's, there's an imagine. You can't see it. I'm imagining it. There's a, there's, a, there's a giant, you know, kind of rubber band slingshot that everything I say, I'm also firing back at myself. It's right in front of me. Okay? So don't th- take this as accusatory. This is not. This is for all of us. Are you sharing the gospel? Not, oh man, we hired a pastor who shares the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you inviting people to hear the gospel? How many of y'all are familiar with Johnny Hunt? Anybody know Johnny Hunt? If you don't know Johnny Hunt, you need to be familiar with Johnny Hunt. He's awesome. He asked his church one time, he said, how many of y'all came to know Jesus because somebody knocked on your door and shared the gospel with you? Now, if you know First Baptist Woodstock, they run in the thousands, okay? Thousands. So they, they might have 4,000 in a worship service at one time and do it three times in a day, Okay? How many of y'all know Jesus because somebody came and knocked on your door? Maybe 10 or 15 people raised their hand. How many of you came to know Jesus because of some event like vacation Bible school or something like that? Some revival or some special event? You know, a few hundred raised their hand. How many of you came to know Jesus because somebody invited you to church and you heard the gospel there? Thousands. The easiest way to share the gospel is somebody to invite them here. Invite them here. I'm going to tell, this morning I'm going to share the gospel when we're doing this. They're going to hear how to be saved. Are you inviting people to hear the gospel? Are you praying for and with others? Are you leading your families in the Lord? Specifically you men. Me too. Are we leading our families? That's a big sign of spiritual life in ourselves. Is are we being spiritual leaders in our families? Can our wives count on us to pray for them? Pray with them? Pray for and with our children? Are we showing an interest in our children's spiritual lives? In our wives' spiritual lives? Ladies, I bet you get all kinds of butterflies in your tummies when your husband says, baby, I want to pray with you. Oh, that's sweet. I love you. Guys, that's a hint. Try it. Lead. Is our church a spiritual force in and for our community? Do you see these signs of spiritual life? When's the last time you can remember God leading you to do something? Leading you to say something? Leading you to reach out to somebody? If you're not experiencing those kinds of things, pursuing those kinds of things, valuing those kinds of things, ask yourself this question, am I spiritually alive? Say, well, my brother over here, he's alive. He just doesn't eat, drink, breathe, or get up. Ever. Say, well, your brother's dead. No, he's not. He's alive. He just doesn't do any of the things that living people do. He does a lot of things that dead people do. He's alive, I promise. Same thing, y'all. That's silly with people. That would be silly with a church or with a Christian, wouldn't it? (coughs) So don't assume 
that your reputation matches your reality. Just because somebody says that you're alive doesn't mean you are. Look at Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also appear outwardly righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That the Pharisee, nobody had a better reputation than the Pharisees, and nobody was more dead inside than the Pharisees. It was possible then, y'all. It's possible now. So don't assume that your reputation matches your reality. Second, don't assume that your past is the same as your present. Now, there are positive ways to, to look at um, your, your past and your present. Say maybe your past was kind of rough. And you're like, amen, pastor. My past is not like my present. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. You know, that, that's a positive thing that you recognize we're quick to recognize now. We're quick to desire a present that is different from our past. But there's a negative way to do that too. There's a negative way to do that too. Jesus says in verse 3, <clears throat> Remember therefore, now that's his command. There are three commands in this one verse. His first one is remember. Remember what? How you received and by virtue of the parallel, how you heard. Now, he doesn't literally mean, how did you hear, in the sense that, I mean, did it go through your ears? Did you read something? That's not what he meant. He means, how did you respond when you heard? In this case, they received. Here's what Jesus is going for. Close your eyes and get in your mental time machine, those of you who are Christians. Do you remember what it was like the first time you heard the gospel? I don't mean the first time it... it it tickled your eardrum and you, you, your, your nerves in your ear translated the vibrations of your eardrum to your brain as language and you interpret. That's not what I mean. I mean the first time you heard it. The first time it clicked. And you realize that that was for you. The first time you heard somebody say, there's nothing you can do on your own to make yourself good enough for God. And you were sitting in the pew or the chair or the tent or the vacation Bible school classroom or whatever. And you were sitting there and you panicked because you realized all you had been doing had been trying to please God. And now somebody's telling me there's nothing I can do to do it. And you wanted to say, well, then what am I supposed to do? And they said, but the good news is God's already done everything for you. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place. That Jesus died for all the wickedness you did. And when he died, he gave you all the goodness he did. So that when God looks down on you, he doesn't see your wickedness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And then Jesus was buried. And when he rose, that was God's guarantee to you that in the same way that Jesus rose, all those who were in him are going to rise with him. That Jesus has done everything for you. All you got to do is come and confess your sin. He'll forgive you and guarantee you eternal life. Do you remember what it was like the first time you heard that? Paul does. The scales fell away. I mean, the, the, I, we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, the lesson was about the, the first disciples who were called. When Jesus called them in the Gospel of Mark, it says they immediately rose up and followed him. That there was an urgency to it. There was activity to it. <coughs> that there's joy. There's brokenness over sin in, in the book of Acts. There's brokenness over sin. Uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
They're cut to the heart. But then there's joy when they do you remember what that was like? For some of us, that was a long time ago. For some of us, it might not have been that far. But take your mind and go back to that moment and say, yes, I do remember what that was like. And Jesus looked at them and he says, what changed? Let's bring it a little bit more close to home. I I, I would ask your permission to meddle. But I don't care if I have permission or not. I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Those of you who's married in here, yeah, put, put your big boy britches on. Here we go. Those of you who's married in here, you remember when you was dating your spouse? Remember, oh my goodness, all those nice dates. Ladies, that's back when he smelled good. And he always, oh, he, he probably always opened the door for you everywhere you went. He let you get in the car first. He smelled good all the time. He always remembered to put his deodorant on. He even ate clean, probably. And and, and y'all went and y'all did fun stuff together and then y'all got married. And you're giggling a little bit, but there's a little twinge of sadness too, isn't there? Because all the ladies are like, man, I wish we still did that stuff. And all the guys are like, man, I wish, I wish we still kind of did that stuff. If you're honest, guys, you're like, no, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm fine. No, you, no, you're not. You still wish you did that stuff. Y'all remember when he used to put on his nice clothes and he used to put on a dress and do your hair and do your makeup. And now you consider it a date night if you just get out of the house long enough to go through the McDonald's drive-thru. <laughs> What happened? Where'd the romance in our marriage go? That's a good question. See, when we talk about our marriages, that's that's an issue that both of us have to tackle. Husbands and wives. But imagine just a second that one of the two of you was literally perfect. As in there's nothing wrong. They never say anything wrong. They never do anything wrong. They never think anything wrong. They never feel anything wrong. They've never done anything wrong to you. So if romance dies down and one of you is literally perfect, whose fault is it? It's the other one, right? And obviously I'm not the one who's literally perfect. So it must be me. That's what Jesus is saying to Sardis. Guys, do you remember when we first got together? Do you remember when you first became mine? How excited you were? How joyous you were? That coming and being with the rest of the body was something you were excited about every time? Oh my goodness, I can't wait to go be with the other people who have the same story with Jesus as I do. That they were lost too. That they they were broken too. And Jesus healed all of us. And now we can go and we can celebrate that together. And I want to tell my next door neighbor. And I want to tell my other next door neighbor. And I want to tell the guy one block down who thinks I'm crazy because I've knocked on his door three times this week about church. I I can't wait to go. And then time passed. And church became something that you just do. Become somewhere that you just go. 
and you go to sleep. And Jesus said, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now, not watch is the same Greek word from earlier. So Jesus says, if you won't wake up, I'll come wake you up. He threatens to come like a thief and they won't know the hour he will come against them. Now, normally this phrase is used in association with the second coming of Christ. And that's a joyful occasion, right? That we say all the time, even so, come Lord Jesus. I used to say it every time I had a test in college. (coughs) That I would love it, Jesus, if you would come back right now. I remember saying that right before I had my ordination council. Lord Jesus, if you would just come back right now and not see me in this room with this bunch of pastors, all of whom I'm terrified of, if, if you would just come back right now and take me into heaven, then that would be great. That, that, that we normally think of that as a good thing. But in this case, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You don't want me to come on you like a thief like this. You know, how does, I heard something funny uh, the other day, it can apply to a church. How does the church die? Gradually, then suddenly. A church dies gradually, then suddenly. Have you ever noticed how there always seems to be this slow, 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 slow ebb, and nothing gets done, and nothing gets done, and nothing gets done, and nothing gets done? And then something happens. And you go, man, if it wouldn't have been for this, that church would have made it. Not according to Revelation 3. That gradual descent, that gradual decline. And remember, this is not just about churches. What else is this about? Individuals. You put off Jesus, 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 you put off Jesus. Jesus. Suddenness. You never know when you won't have the opportunity again to come to Christ. Maybe it's not just about salvation. Maybe it's about your kids. You put off leading them, you put off leading them, you put off leading them, you put off leading them. Suddenly they're not concerned about the church anymore. They get mixed up in something that takes their attention, that takes their heart, and there's no longer any room for Jesus. And you want to beg and plead then, but it's too late. Gradually, then suddenly. Almost like a thief in the middle of the night that you're not prepared for. Jesus gives them a command to remember, and plenty of churches are good at this, they have their hearts and their minds in the past, but they make the mistake of thinking that something that happened in the past is still their present reality. That they're good at remembering what it was like in the good old days, but they fail to process that their church does not still possess that same vitality. This is the same thing as individuals who are running off the emotional experience they had at church camp when they were 12 and can't point to a single thing God has done in their life since. That they're convinced they're saved because they cried at an altar when they were a kid. But their life from that point on looks no different from Joe Schmo, who's never had been experienced at church at all. Spiritual deadness. <clears throat> Jesus wants to know what changed. How about you? 
If you've come to know Christ, but you don't see any difference in yourself, what's changed? Why did you let yourself go to sleep? If you think you've come to know Christ, but you don't see any change in yourself, are you sure you know Jesus? Listen to John verses 8, 39, and 40. Uh, They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. If you are children of God, you will do the things God does. Don't just look back to some moment in the past. Look right now. I'm not saying that you have to get saved every day and that there's, there's multiple, multiple saving. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you were saved back then, you ought to be able to point to something recently that God has done in your life. In Revelation 2, 4 through 5, we've already read this, so you'll remember this if you were here with us, but it's pretty cut and dry. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you fall and repent and do the first works, or else I will come against you quickly and remove your lampstand, close your church from its place, unless you repent. So don't assume that your past is the same as your present, that you rest in what God did some long time ago, but there's nothing recent. Don't assume that your past is the same as your present. And then finally and quickly, don't assume that your minority is representative of your majority. Jesus says in verse 4, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now Jesus doesn't mean literal garments. This is figurative language that refers to the purity of believers' lives and doctrine. And the way Jesus says it is he says there are some even in Sardis. Y'all, that's kind of a little bit of a backhand, isn't it? That's like, could you imagine what it would come across if uh, somebody came? How would y'all like it? By the way, I've never done this. FYI. If somebody came to me and said, Josh, tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about your church. I said, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. I've even got some good people there. How would you interpret that? <clears throat> Do I have a lot of them? No. In fact, the way I said it is I'm shocked to even have the ones I have. Jesus said, you have a few names even in Sardis. Oof. Who have not defiled their garments. He says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. Uh, life and confession before the Father and His angels belong to those who overcome along with the white garments of purity. Let me tell you what I think is going on here. And then we'll, we'll close this up. Remember when Jesus says there are still a few things that are not dead in your church? I think that's these few. And the reason this church thinks they're alive is because a church of 200's got about 10 people working hard and the 100 and 190 folks are taking credit for the work that those 10 people are doing. Jesus is saying, 190 people, you're asleep. You need to wake up and help these 10. Because they're 
alive. <clears throat> Y'all that are dead, he, he gives them a pretty hefty warning, doesn't he? He says, they will walk with me in white. Jesus says, be very, very, very careful about looking at your spiritual life and thinking you are healthy because of what someone else in your church is doing. I am not preaching works righteousness. All of my righteousness is from Jesus. Every bit of it. But what I am saying is that if you know Jesus, there ought to be spiritual vitality in your life that calls you to obedience yourself. That you ought to be able to say, here's what God's doing in me, and here's what I'm doing with them. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you say, oh my goodness, I'm so happy with what God's doing in our church. And you go, well, what's God doing? Well, so-and-so's doing this, and so-and-so's doing this, and so-and-so's doing this, and so-and-so's doing this. And we've got this great ministry over here that so-and-so is doing. And it's just great that our church is reaching the community. That's a real easy way to say it's great that these people through Christ are reaching the community and I'm sitting there as a spectator watching. I'm sorry if that's hurting any toes, but Jesus said it. And he said this with a church's life on the line. That effectively those, those sleeping people could choose to be offended or they could choose to turn over and pull the covers up higher. Genesis 18, 32-33. Listen to what Abraham said. This is in the argument over what to do with, not argument, but question about what to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he, that's God, said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So God said, I've got a few. If there are a few there, I'll let it live. But there weren't a few. Look at 19.12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you'll have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. You know what Jesus will do if he's got a few people who are alive in the church, but the rest refuse to wake up and support them? He will come as a thief in the middle of the night. That church will not survive, and those who are alive will go and serve elsewhere. They will not die just because that church refused to wake up. Is that a scary prospect? It's a terrifying prospect. But it's true. So I want to ask you in this moment of invitation are you dead or are you alive? Can you point to what Jesus is doing in your life? Can you point and say, I remember giving myself to Christ and here's what he's been doing in my life. Or do you point to someone else? Do you point to your church membership? Do you point to maybe something you don't do? Has Christ saved you? If not, Miss Sandy's about to lead us. Miss Sandy and Miss Joyce are going to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. 
If you need to come and you need to talk to me about giving your life to Christ, you do so. Um, after that, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, we'll quickly do offer and have announcements and we'll be dismissed. But you can come down the aisle and you can talk to me. If that scares you, that's okay. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin. Put it in the offering plate when it comes by. If you're visiting with us this morning, that can be your gift to us. You don't have to give us your money if you're a visitor. I mean, if you're a member, you don't have to give us your money either. You take that up with Jesus. <laughs> um, or you can catch me at the back door when we leave. But don't leave here without responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'm going to pray. If you need to come, you come. Father, uh, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to to be blessed by being in your house with your body. Lord, I pray that you would maintain the life of this church and that you would see our sleepers wake up and support those things that remain. Uh, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in Stapleton and reach this community and reach individuals and reach moms and dads and boys and girls and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and the lost and the sleeping saved. And um, Lord, I pray you would just do mighty things here. And I turn this invitation over to you in excitement to see what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.